Welcome back. We're in the midst of a powerful discussion asking the question, what is the role of winning in the process of reconciliation? Tighten up the seatbelts. We're heading back in. Here's George. Jesus' own response to wrong concepts, false charges, and hurtful actions gives us the model of what his followers are to do. Here's what Origen said about it. When false witnesses testified against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he remained silent. And when unfounded charges were brought against him, he returned no answer, believing that his whole life and conduct among the Jews were a better refutation than any answer to the false testimony or than any formal defense against the accusations. Instead of condemnation of others, Jesus counsels loving action for their benefit. He demonstrated his love through his life and conduct, not through self-defense. Instead of judgment, he counsels not judging. Above all, even where we have been wronged, or where we believe Jesus and the gospel have been wronged, and we want to raise swords in their defense, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's from Luke 6. So Jesus says, don't judge, don't condemn, but give. This is love as willing action. And forgive. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Step two in reconciliation is for us to forgive. Step one, repent, confess what we've done ourselves. Step two is for us to forgive. And this is required even when it has not been asked of us. Because until we forgive, we are still bound to our adversary. The word forgive that Jesus uses means to set free. It does not mean to approve of what someone else has done. In fact, the idea really is to give up a legitimate claim. For example... Shortly after college, I left a job and moved across the country. I was close to broke and just scraping by when making the move. My employer owed me one final paycheck and promised to send it when payday came. He didn't. In spite of many calls, he never did. Knowing, I suspect, there was nothing I could do about it from such a distance. I had a legitimate claim. He owed me the money, and for years I remembered being cheated by him, and my anger and scorn remained regular, if faded, visitors. I wanted my money, and I wanted to get even, or more. He owed me both the paycheck and an apology, but my chances of getting either were nil. Finally, after becoming a Christian, and gaining insight into the meaning of forgiveness, I released my legitimate claim. 
I forgave him. By doing this, the legal, emotional, and spiritual cords that had bound me to him were cut. Anger and scorn left. My need to win left. I experienced shalom, heart ease, peace. I was freed. The example is a simple one, but illustrative of many in the course of my own life and in the lives of others who have learned of this stunning freedom that comes when we forgive. Jesus knew what he was giving us. True forgiveness does not require the other person to concede to me, to confess to me, to repent to me, or to ask for forgiveness from me, only that I forgive. And like love, it is not a feeling to be waited upon, but rather an action, a choice. Feeling will follow, but what matters is the action to forgive to release the legitimate claim. Confession, repentance, and even punishment for my enemies may be necessary for the well-being of their souls, but are not necessary for the well-being of mine. In fact, if I require them of others before I'll forgive them, then I am still seeking triumph not love. Full reconciliation and restoration requires that both I and the other repent and forgive. But I cannot withhold mine until the other completes his or hers. Such a precondition keeps me bound. My willingness to forgive without precondition is how I complete my second step in reconciliation. This willingness frees me from the bondage of desiring vindication, of needing to win, and needing my adversary to lose. This is true about sin done to me, whether about money, love, family, work, culture, oppression, abuse, or religious concepts. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. That's Jesus. If we really dwell on what Jesus commands here, it must unsettle us deeply. He's asking for more even than just forgiveness, which is the dropping of a just claim, a legitimate claim. Normal justice is getting back what has been taken, literally getting even. Forgiveness is not seeking recompense, not seeking payback, not getting even. It is releasing the claim. Yet Jesus calls for more. Love. Yes, love. No, not, not warm feelings toward an adversary, but action to bless them. 
That's the point of offering the other cheek to someone angry with you or giving your coat to someone who has awarded your shirt by a judge. It may not make a lot of sense to our rational mind or in our litigious culture or even to our sense of personal justice, but it is how Jesus says we are sons of God. Now, let's be honest. This is utterly beyond any of our normal concepts of equity, justice, or fair dealing. It is downright outside of the box. Which brings us back to Goodell, of course, and to Jesus transcending the box we live in, going beyond its structures and rules. Yet it is how we learn to truly love each other, even neighbor and enemy. We might have a glimmer of understanding about the nature of such transcendent forgiveness in our relational lives with family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, perhaps even political adversaries, and all the struggle and emotion these relationships contain. But we seem to fiercely resist forgiveness when we are defending our culture or our nation. We resist even more so when we defend our religious concepts. That's as if their religiousness exempts us from the clear instructions of Jesus about forgiveness. It doesn't. Again, the issue here is not whether my concepts are more right than your concepts, or even if you've treated me badly in attacking my concepts. It isn't about getting even. The issue is whether I'm willing to do what Jesus asked of me, and that is to repent of my hard heart and to forgive you for yours. Here's how Frederico Matthews Green puts it. God is not looking for repayment, but repentance. What heals a broken relationship is sincere love and contrition. What's wrong with us isn't a rap sheet of bad deeds, but a damaged heart, a soul sickness that plunges us into fearful self-protection, alienation from God and others. Paradoxically, this leads to death. Whoever would save his life will lose it. She's quoting there Jesus from Matthew 16, 25. With repentance and forgiveness, I can move beyond winning and discover reconciliation, which is simply to truly love God, neighbor, and even enemy. But will I? Or will I persist in my self-justification and lovelessness? It is time to decide. Are you catching the gravity of the challenge? Moving beyond winning? How different than the standards defining success in much of our society? Thank you, George. A challenging session today. And there may be portions that you'd like to review. If so, I invite you to visit our website at whatwebelieveandwhy.com, where you can get your own copy of the book. And I hope you'll join us next time for another edition.